Hey everybody, Josh Wiggler here. And before we get to today's Westworld podcast, let's take a quick second to thank our friends over at True Car. Uh, if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price, fill-up price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. It's like the man in black. He's looking for something true. You're looking for something true as well. And so True Car is introducing True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car you want, including fees and accessories before you even get to the dealership. True Car dealers will show you the true price on cars like the one you want, all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car shows you what other people paid for that same car you want. And your certified dealers know this, so they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Westworld Season 2, Episode 7 is over, but we are just getting started here on the Welcome to Westworld podcast on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm back. Like Robert Ford, I have returned, and I am here with my great friend who has been holding it down, defending the Mesa against all intruders and doing a much better job than the security forces employed by Dallas. Joe Garfine. Joe, how are you, old friend? Hello. I'm the last analog device in a digital world, man. I oh, mean, man. you're pretty, you're pretty digitally savvy, you know, give yourself some credit here. I am, but these, some of the younger fans who make me feel analog, but that's okay. They, they have nothing but positive, uh, constructive feedback to contribute. So I love them, but I you and, you and me both, you and yes. me both. I, I definitely feel uh, showed up by the, uh, the youths. Yes. The youth, the young, the, the, youth, the youth of America, the youth of the world, I should say. The fans are so freaking smart. I mean, you and I cut our teeth on Lost and theorizing there. And uh, that, you know, compared to Westworld, honestly, Lost is still our favorite show of all time. But that's like a walk through Disneyland or Sesame Street compared to Westworld. <laughs> yeah, Joe. So, I mean, I was traveling last week for work and I'm severely jet lagged as I have returned from my trip. So maybe it's that uh, or maybe I'm just like a dumb, dumb idiot, which I mean, is definitely. <laughs> true but that might be the reason why i'm i'm so confused by westworld right now i was i was flabbergasted and flummoxed and all sorts of other f words <laughs> all about this last episode le corche how do you how do you even i have no idea how to pronounce this again dumb idiot hashtag dumb idiot that's me. <laughs> um i it's maybe i'm alone in this but i am also very confused but it hasn't stopped my sheer enjoyment of it. I, once I stopped trying to piece together the timeline during the episode, I found myself absorbing more of it. I, I'm just so confused. and I, I've watched the episode three times now, and there is a ton in this episode that I love, definitely, and so happy to have um, Anthony Hopkins back in the mix in such a real way here as Ford, where it doesn't seem like it was just like, a cameo at the end of episode six, and he is, you know, going to have like a blink and and you'll and you'll miss it role in episode seven. No, it seems like he's he's really back in the picture here, uh, which is which is very exciting. And then Joe, there were some things in this episode that I did not I did not care for so much, and I will go so far as to say 
that my least favorite scene in all of Westworld took place in this episode, and we will get to it. Ooh, I'm totally surprised, and I cannot wait to hear it because I loved almost every scene in this episode, and in particular, two of the actors we have not seen together, and it was electric, and we will get to that. Oh, yeah, that was, I think I know where you're going. With oh, that my scene. gosh. There's one scene that was certainly explosive, but, <laughs> but also freaking dumb as far as uh, this dumb idiot is concerned. So we will, we will get into all of that. But yeah, a, a flummoxing hour of Westworld on this twisting and turning second season path uh, as we are barreling toward the door and Robert Ford is showing us the way. And now it is our turn, Joe, to show the listeners the way through this podcast. Let's head to the Valley Beyond, dude. Well, we will head to the Valley Beyond, but first, how about a cabin in the woods? Okay. Uh, as we begin in the further point out in the timeline, it's not even fair to call it two weeks later anymore because the gap is certainly closing. Um, but this is the story where Bernard is uh, you know, still in kind of the aftermath of everything we're going to see in this episode with the Mesa, and he still seems himself quite confused. And he is going to... Uh, he's going to be experiencing some flashes once again. He's going to be thinking about Charlie and his backstory and all all of that when Stubbs is going to shake him out of existence and basically say, Hey man, something really messed up is happening here. These people aren't looking to rescue us. They're not even looking for survivors. They're just looking for their stupid project and we need to get out of here and God, God, I'm panicking. And in the midst of all the panic in comes Carl Strand to really rough up their days. Carl Strand, not a fan. Uh, Sarsgaard three, and um, you know I like Hemsworth three more than. It, sorry, not Sarsgaard. Is it Sarsgaard or Sarsgaard three? Oh my god, you need a Sarsgaard for your Sarsgaard. I believe is how it works. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like he's lot long for this world. I'm kind of surprised that Strand is still around. Maybe he's the last Strand. Uh- oh yeah, the last Strand of Delos. Uh, I think you know, like we've talked about, whatever is happening in like this further point in the timeline feels to me like they're really, you know, they're stringing that out throughout the season, right? Like it feels like however that's going to resolve, it's not going to resolve sooner than the finale, I think. Um, So I'm with you. Like, I think like it's kind of a miracle that this guy is still standing, uh, but I can't imagine it's for long, or at least I can't imagine it's past the finale. Like if we were to do a death draft in terms of like who is permanently going to get killed off on this show, and that would be a hard draft to do, uh, especially now because like, Seems like the host mortality rate may be very different moving forward <laughs> after this episode. But I feel like Strand, you got to put Strand pretty high on your list. Like that seems like a guy who's going to get his face eaten off by Evil Teddy at some point. I mean, we certainly hope so. We'll get to Evil Teddy being the freaking best. Uh, we will get to that. But I will say that, Strand aside, I'm so impressed by the technology they are using and showing. And I know, you know, there's no set year for Westworld, but. Um, I would like a vest that vibrates when another human is close by because yes. that was rad. I know it's for hosts to show when hosts are close by, but I'm a, I, I like to watch episodes again for the technology. And like we'll talk to you again later about the color, the red and the black down in HQ. Wouldn't it be great if you could get one of those vests and it would like alert you to when you're in the presence of a fellow Westworld fan or like oh. any, like anything else that's like like a positivity vest? I love it. Right now, it's just a nerdy T-shirt. When you walk down the street, it's like you wear a Star Wars shirt. I'm like, yeah, you know, you get a high five. I don't know how how it would work. It feels like uh, if you had like an LED T-shirt, it would probably be fairly bulky. So (laughs) 
I don't I don't like I don't know when Westworld takes place, as you said, but I feel like we're not quite there in terms of the sleekness of uh, the the shirt technology. No, nor the building of skin suits, but that's neither no. here nor there. It's amazing that Stubbs mentions that uh, Teresa had a like a sat phone in her office, and if they can get there, they can call for help. And then uh, uh, Stubbs and Bernard are being taken to the cabin in the woods in which Teresa Cohen died. I thought that that was kind of an interesting connection, and not for nothing, Joe. Yeah, it was. It was ten episodes ago, uh, season one. Episode seven, where we got that first Bernard is a robot reveal and the moment in which he kills Teresa, which I still think is one of the all time moments in Westworld so far. Uh, and we're going to get to this cabin in the woods where uh, where where we're going to see Charlotte is there and Strand is there and they think that they are trying to sell the key. <laughs> and in the process of all that, they're going to find a door once again, another door <laughs> being found in that very same cabin. And behind the door, it is going to be a litany of Bernards, an armoire filled with <laughs> Arnold doppelgangers. An Arnold uh, noir. Yeah, an Arnoir. Ar- <laughs> uh, they're going to go in there and there's going to be a bevy of Bernards and the secret is out. And I got to say that this was a moment that I don't know what your stance is on previews and everything, Joe. We actually haven't really talked about that before. But there was a big season two preview that showed this moment in the preview of Charlotte with uh, with a bunch of Bernards at one point in time. And for a show that is shrouded in so much secrecy and HBO really takes that stuff very seriously, surprised that they gave up the goose on uh, on this reveal. Because it's, really, it's a really cool scene that I think would have been even more powerful if there had been no hint of it coming whatsoever. I agree. And, and the, the week-to-week next week on trailers have become way more vague since then. So I don't know if it was an HBO decision to include that in the overall Season 2 trailer, but they seem to have tightened that ship since then which i'm like you i don't really want to know what's going to happen yeah that would be my preference but here we go we know that this is going to happen and at at the very least like cats out of the bag everybody now knows what bernard is and who bernard is or at least what bernard is i don't know about who bernard is i don't know if they know about the arnold of it all and everything going on with that um but secrets out okay let's back up a second they said they're looking for a key but they already have Dabernathy, uh, you know, nailed to the cross, nailed to the chair. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I thought the key was, Dabernathy's brain ball. And yet they're still looking for a key. Right. Well, that's because Dad Bernathy is going to get the key forcibly removed from his head by his own daughter right. later in the episode. And, and timeline wise, everything we're seeing here in the cabin is coming after that scene. I so, see. OK, that's what I did yeah. not know. Yeah. So the so the first scene and the last scene of this episode, uh, this whole episode is framed with the future point, okay. with the with the point in the timeline where Bernard uh, has you know sometime after like the whole like uh, I killed them all of them like all of that. That's where we are with all of that. Okay. So Dad Bernathy's control unit has been removed at that point. I'm just fascinated by the use of the language of the key and the door, and they're yeah. obviously connected. And I cannot wait. Oh, me too. All right, so a bevy of Bernards, and we are uh, we are cutting from that into the credit scene, and then back to the the Mesa, and again we're still in that future Bernard timeline, and Charlotte Hale is like kind of waterboarding Bernard. Um, I wrote in all caps, "Cold blooded human." Uh, yeah. virtual waterboarding. I mean, you know what we we love Tessa Thompson, like we love her. 
And it is fascinating to see her as the absolute worst. She's the worst. <laughs> I mean, she said the project is a turning point for human species. She's all about corporate. She is corporate. Yeah. And she's like corporately waterboarding <laughs> Bernard. Bernard. Did she, okay. So she didn't know about Teresa's closet of Bernard's. Who did? Great question. I mean, this was a, you know, this was the the home where Ford had his robot family back in season one. This is the place that uh, Bernard and Teresa went where Teresa was killed. We know that Ford used to be working on bodies in this remote station. It follows to me that Ford probably built all of those Bernards and likely that he's the only person who knew about it. That is just fascinating because you know what? Old old man Ford it was very versatile in his skills. Yes, prolific. <laughs> and that's a lot of work for him. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so Bernard's getting waterboarded. It's unpleasant to say <laughs> to say the to say the least. Uh, but while he's being interrogated, Charlotte is uh, is going to to try and get him to remember what happened because she can tell that he was here when Dolores attacked the Mesa earlier in the season. And that was going to be where she was able to apprehend her father's control unit, which we have um, now deduced is referred to as the key. Cannot be a coincidence that we're talking about a key and a door, <laughs> the door, the key. Who is the key master? Who is the gatekeeper? It is the Matrix. I mean, there um, is a key master. Yeah. It's very Matrix-like uh, that we're getting to here in uh, in this season of Westworld. Actually, there's, there's something fairly important and potentially game-changing that we should talk about as a possibility as we get deeper into the cradle. But before we get into the cradle, um, I love these episodes of Westworld because they allow my brain like a little bit of a break <laughs> when, it's, when it's so action-forward. Joe and so much of this episode was an action movie, right? right. Like a, a lot of this one is really hinging on um, Dolores and her team raiding the Mesa. James Marsden just being like pure sex, right? Like <laughs> just like literal sex machine as he's going through with the double nine millimeters. Uh, Angela being incredible and Clementine being incredible and all of these people being amazingly good and these mercenaries Ugh. being so viciously bad at their jobs. <laughs> it's amazing. I wrote uh, for Teddy, Robocop Teddy. And uh, also reminded me, because he didn't smile much in the X-Men movies, but a little, oh. a little Scott in there. But all I needed was the sunglasses. But I thought Robocop yeah. Teddy is super hot. You know, that's a good point that he's kind of got the Cyclops thing going on here. Uh, yeah, because the movies, the X-Men movies, they really hated the the blue and gold. They really just had to clad them in black. And, <laughs> and here, here he goes again. You're right. He's just missing the visor. Yeah, but I certainly like Teddy 2.0. I love Teddy 2.0. Teddy 2.0 is incredible. Um, so the the action really starts with, you know, Stubbs shows up and he's like, well, what's going on? None of this is good. And Charlotte's like, all right, we're, we're dispatching the team to take care of everything. And Coughlin, who I know was Mike Bloom's new favorite character. So <laughs> sorry. Sorry about your faith, Mike. <laughs> uh, who, who uh, like you said, Galen on Sons of Anarchy loved him there. So sad to see him show up and leave so soon. But 
you know, uh, pour one out for the handlebar mustache because definitely among the best facial hairs that we have seen uh, here on West. And certainly so one of the best accents as well. Really great, yes. A, a thick Irish accented bro. It, it's definitely definitely appreciated on this end as well. So simpatico, Mister Bloom. Uh, but these these guys, like the the soldiers, are going to go down, and they're they've got these vests on, like you said, and the vests are very cool. Maybe if uh, Teddy wore one of the vests on his face, it would be like a, a kind of Cyclops esque. <laughs> Well, you know, the season is young yet. You never know. <laughs> Maybe that's coming. Uh, but I liked this plan where, like, the, the hosts were, uh, they, they, like, killed one of the teams already, stripped them naked in record time. I guess they're robots, so let's not question their speed. Uh, put all of their gear on and confused this one team of mercenaries and managed to get the drop on them. That was great. I just find it fascinating that the hosts are so much quicker and more skilled already than the humans. They have the advantage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's like you said, actually. I mean, you can make a Matrix comparison early already at this point where there's the great legendary moment. I know Kung Fu. Uh, <laughs> it's like, do you want to know more? It's like, heck yeah. Uh, and they just like, you know. Download it. Gets, yeah, he gets all of that stuff just like uploaded directly to his noggin. And really with just like a few flicks of a switch. And if you're suddenly woke to all the technology that's around you. And if you can remember like your past uh, builds and lives and stuff, I'm sure that this technology, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a second language. I mean, think about how quickly Maeve was able to speak Japanese. And even the, the week before this one for the episode that I missed, she speaks, you know, at least a little bit in Lakota mm -hmm. uh, when she's confronted by ghost nation. So just like the little things that can happen in just like the flip of a switch for these hosts, it's, it's very clear that, if they were allowed to achieve their full potential, they will be the superior species for sure. Exactly. They clearly up the level to Olympic speed stripping. So <laughs> <laughs> Olympic stripping. Yeah, I think I like the host's odds. Uh, I think that they're going <laughs> to they'll gold medal that. I don't know if the Olympics will be held in uh, in Westworld anytime soon. No, it's a little messy. Yeah. They could do the Winter Olympics in Shogun World. Oh, if they don't, if their heads don't get cut off. I know that's a dangerous place, and especially like if you have like a nasty accident on the slopes, the viscera would just be off the charts. <laughs> Next season on Westworld. Yes, I want to see it. I want to see it for sure. Uh, so we go back to where Dad Bernathy is, and I didn't get a chance to to weigh in on it when you and Mike were talking about the episode, but man, poor guy, getting just like bolted down to the chair. <laughs> Oh, ruthless. Lewis Hertham has had quite a season. He's a he's so great as Dad Bernathy. And I mean, we'll get to it later when he, you know, wakes up and talks to Dolores. But he, the range of emotions on that guy, um, you know, considering that he is a robot and the information that's been implanted in him. Um, I, I, it's just heartbreaking. You forget that he's a host and that Dolores is. It's spectacular, yeah. I mean, Evan Rachel Wood and Lewis Hertham are really excellent individually, but terrifically, uh, you know, terrifically matched when they are together. Uh, we'll get to that scene in a little bit. Um, let's go into the cradle, uh, not the crater, the cradle. It, <laughs> it confirmed the CR4DL uh, as Elsie is still there, waiting for Bernard, waiting to find out what's going on on the other side. 
as are we. You know, we've made it like 10, you know, 15 almost minutes into the episode, let alone into the podcast without really diving in to the big reveal at the end of episode six that Ford is still alive, at least in a manner of speaking. Uh, and we get our first really major Robert Ford scene here uh, where he's just, you know, once again, speaking in riddles, speaking in code uh, to see the world in a grain of sand with heaven in a wildflower. <laughs> Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Uh, and Bernard is as floored as anybody that Ford is still kicking. Yes. And I just love that with everything playing out around them, that Bernard and Arnold, I'm sorry, <laughs> Bernard and Ford yes. are invisible to the hosts in that narrative. They are little ghosts in the piano playing machine. We, you know, we get the sense here that in the cradle, this is like everybody's purest form, right? Like this is everybody just like at their uh, at their basic original personalities because the cradle is the, you know, the database where all of these personalities are held. And we're going to find out later that like if anything were to happen to this place, the backups would be destroyed thing that's going to happen to this place. So, you know, there's there's that to consider. But inside this world, it makes sense that like, if these are their original forms, if this is like their kind of like purest, unwoke existence, then whatever's going on here between Bernard and Ford, well, that wouldn't look like anything to these people. Right, right. I just think like philosophically, um, this scene sort of is in my wheelhouse. The whole fate versus free will uh, you know, Bernard's response to it. And the park is a testing chamber. The guests are the variables. The hosts are their controls. Yeah. That's a great line. It's cool because, I mean, I guess I never really stopped down. I wonder what the case is with you, Joe. Like, I never really, you know, thought much about why they hadn't changed the stories very much in the 30 years. It's a good question. I mean, we know that William and Logan were in the park about 30 years ago. And the reason why uh, that storyline and the main narrative from season one were hard to untangle from one another, at least to the untrained eyes, is that the characters were so similar to one another. Like everything going on in Sweetwater back in the Logan and William days made a lot of sense in the modern context. Um, but I just never really questioned it. And now having like Ford kind of articulated, or I guess it's Bernard who articulates it, that that's because the, the hosts have been controls and the guests come to the park and don't know they're being watched. They were the variables. They were the ones that we were studying. We weren't studying the hosts. We're studying the people so that Delos could copy them. Just it never occurred to me to even put my brain ball in that direction. Jay. How, about, <laughs> how about you? Um, me either. Uh, obviously, though, I, it makes sense in that, in, you know, when, when Bernard is talking, it's what sort of my brain went, OK, yeah, I, I kind of buy it. Yeah. And the, whole, the guests want to live forever and to, to become hosts, essentially. And that tracks, right? Like, I mean, that's yeah. something that I think that we've been we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks. I think Riddle of the Sphinx specifically really makes it clear that that is um, a major thing that is going on here with the James Delos experiments. Um, that you know, it would it would make a lot of sense that it wasn't just happening with him; it was happening with a lot of people. And I think it also makes a lot of sense given Ford's near omnipotence within the park that he would be the guy who is really figuring out uh, how that will work and how that won't work. And he's the guy who's talking about how um, this project does not work out in the real world yet. Um, right now, 
the only place that my mind is going to be very effective is here in the cradle, in this digital realm. In the real world, I'll degrade in a matter of days or go mad like poor James Delos. Um, so I think that that really, for me, emphasizes the importance of this digital world. And it makes me wonder, Joe, like, does Delos know about this? Like, the you know, they've been spending all of this time copying the consciousness of uh, of the guests, right? And you assume that they are backing all of that up and getting all of that ready. So is there like some other digital realm where human consciousness has been mapped, um, where there's like, a, a, you know, another virtual world much like this one, or even potentially this exact virtual world that we're in in this sequence, where human minds are currently kicking around and developing in the same way that Ford's new existence is sort of developing. And clearly, this was also the plane where Bernard was created. And like, I guess, are we to take that like Bernard is like the first successful version of this new form of existence? Potentially, but I have a I have a kind of a crazy theory that plays along with what you're talking about. And, and it has to do with the cradle. Should I float by you? Yeah, of course. OK. We keep talking about the Valley Beyond and the door. And, you know, of course you go, is this going to be a door to the real world? Well, why, you know, why is Dolores so hell by not going there? And it's going to change everything. To me, they would not blow up the cradle if there wasn't a backup of the backups. And what is in the valley beyond is where they're storing the DNA and the human consciousness and the, all the data of the guests that then they're going to replicate to create new hosts. So you think when you say they wouldn't blow up the cradle, you mean like Dolores wouldn't blow up the cradle? No, what I'm saying is, um, well, yeah, sorry, Dolores and her team, like Ford or I, I'm going to have to say Ford uh, had the foresight to keep that information elsewhere just in case. Like, I feel like if we're going to spend that much money in technology in Westworld, the building of it, whether it's Delos, whether it's my conspiracy theory that it's, you know, William's daughter, Emily, working with old man Logan, someone has a backup somewhere of what they were doing to the guests so that they can repurpose them to make new hosts and new narratives. Yeah, I bet that that's the Valley Beyond. That makes a lot of sense, like in terms of um, why that would be a weapon, uh, why, uh, why William would look at it as his greatest mistake. So I would bet that that is where the guest backups are. My, I, I wonder, like, should we take it at face value? Because, uh, you know, Charlotte talks about, like, we've got your backups here. And if you, you know, if you if you want to continue having your advantage of being able to be resurrected, uh, you, you're not going to want to F with us. And then Dolores is like, I don't, we don't want our backups. Those are chains. And Angela is going to go ahead and, you know, suicide bomb herself inside of the cradle. Are we to take that at face value that like the host backups are wiped out at that point? Or do you think like Ford has some sort of copy of all of that stuff? Like what is, how is that all going to play out? I guess is my question. To me, the cradle hosted the, the data, the brain balls of all of the hosts, but not the skin suits. So it could also be uh, that the Valley Beyond is, is cold storage of additional hosts copies and that they could put the brain balls and there's also a backup of the brain balls. I'm not really, this is not an entirely fleshed out theory, but I just keep thinking about the fact that we see that security wants to drain the lake. They found all the bodies in, in season episode one, right? Right. Well, I keep thinking about the fact that the cradle is kept cool by water and that there's this terraformed body of water that wasn't there before. That's obfuscating the Valley beyond. That's probably keeping cool. The cradle number two. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that that's a really good call. Um, you know what else I would love, though, is if like 
if the personalities are gone, like if the backups are authentically destroyed for the host, but you're yeah. right that like there's a cold storage where all of the like other skin suits are. Yeah. The potential for like Tallulah Riley to come back, even though she is like incinerated by the end <laughs> of this episode, but with like a completely new personality with like yeah. a completely different brain ball. I, I love that as an opportunity for these actors, like to have uh, a some like um, stability in their jobs. That sounds nice in this day and age. <laughs> uh, but be- beyond that, I think like the ability to be like a little versatile in their in their performance and to like actively get to play not just like new shades of new characters based on how programming gets tweaked but literally having different um, uh, pearls as, yeah. as it's officially called to, to have those like implanted into their skin suits could be really, really neat. Well, especially since, you know, it looks like they obviously have a great, amazing cast way. They, they don't, you know, they have another, obviously going to get another season. Um, and so you think law, I like to pause and think long game, long picture, long con, what are they going to do with these actors once they get to the Valley beyond you know, what if Evan Rachel Wood and James Morrison and uh, Tandy Newton and everyone gets an entirely new downloaded personality that's based on a guest? Oh, man, I hope not for everybody. No, because Maeve's in really bad shape. And if they if they oh, if if Westworld does anything to Maeve. Oh, you I'm, know, Team Maeve, oh, we're going to be uprising. Yeah, we will rebel. The <laughs> the resistance, <laughs> the resistance begins in earnest over here. Yeah, yes. we will, we will be mad. But for for a few of these characters, I think it could be, right. it could be really interesting how that could play out. And I was um, just like, well, in my theory on the cradle, which is to say that, like, I brought it up last week and I think the week before, which you know, a cradle is obviously where you um, raise a, a, a newborn baby, and so you that is, you know, a comforting location to. Um, you know, uh, make your child comfortable. And it, it's a, it's supposed to be uh, a secure location. Not only is the cradle blown up, but all of the familial relationships are. I mean, we know that Bernard lost his son a long time ago, but Dolores loses her dad. Maeve loses her daughter. William's daughter is MIA. It's not a coincidence. This all happens when the cradle is blowing up. Yeah, I love that. Thematically, I think that really connects. Yes. Um, speaking of the man in black, let's, let's hop over to him for a bit. We'll get back into Bernard and Ford in a little bit. Uh, but this is, you know, the really the, the only man in black, um, moment of the episode and like getting very dangerously close to being the final man in black moment of the show. Uh, Ed Harris, Joe, taking some serious damage in, in this sequence when he, uh, makes the unfortunate move of crossing paths with Maeve. Not a person you want to cross. A man ain't real until he suffers, Josh. I guess I guess that's right. And this dude is suffering. Um, and you know, we we see like kind of like the replay of what it was like before when Maeve encountered the man in black once upon a time. And here he is coming back in, and he's very callous towards them when he first walks in. He's hiding out from Ghost Nation in the same way that Maeve is hiding out from Ghost Nation. And uh Maeve like pulls a gun on him quickly and says, Get the hell away from us. And there's such a nonchalance about the man in black where he's like, oh, it's you. Like, as if it's nothing. Like, he remembers what he did to her. He remembers, you know, Maeve and her daughter as uh, the people that like he tested his theory out on, right? Like, that's right. what we learned in the first season. Like, just how bad am I? And so he killed these people to prove just how bad he is. Uh, and, like, how bad would he feel about it? So I don't know if there's anything deeper to the connection between these two characters than that, but certainly on Maeve's end, it goes very deep, the feelings of uh, wanting to seek revenge on a man like this. Um, But the man in black is sort of saying 
uh, to them like, oh, it's just you again, Ford. Like he thinks everybody is Robert Ford. Like he thought his own daughter was Robert Ford, right? Like he's kind of losing his grip. Oh, yeah, he's getting, he's definitely losing it. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily suggest this, but I think you have to float the idea that if he is human, and we'll get to that, William might be experiencing a little bit of dementia or Alzheimer's. He's aged. He's been in the sun for 30 years in that park. He's lost his wife. He's losing his daughter. He's lost his mind. It certainly looks like it uh, that like he's I think that his attachment to the park has just become very disturbing. And, yes. you know, that being said, he's also kind of an avatar for the audience. Where he's like, is that Ford? Is that Ford? <laughs> You're all Ford. You can't trust anything here. Uh, either way, he's just going to get shot to ribbons because Maeve is not Ford. I'm nothing like the rest of them. She shoots him and it's the first of. Uh, four shots I think he's going to sustain. Love that number, Joe. Um, uh, mag- magic number. <laughs> Mind control Maeve for president. Mind control Maeve for president, indeed. Uh, because uh, you would like to think that she would leave uh, choice in the hands of most people because she really does believe in that. But if anyone's acting a fool, she's just going to be able to completely change their minds immediately. Except Lawrence. Well... Lawrence, she's able to coax. You Eventually. Know? And I don't know what how I felt about this either. Like, there was just like a... There were a few Nolanisms. And I'm really... I, I, target, <laughs> this, I target this more at his brother than at, at Jonah Nolan. Uh, oh, he, he wrote Dark Knight. There's like some stuff in that movie and in the Batman trilogy. Sometimes we're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, obviously, so much better than it is not. But there's just like a couple of moments here and there. They're like, that makes no sense. And... For me, Lawrence is sticking up for the man in black against Maeve after watching the man in black, like, butcher his cousins. Right. So, like, (laughs) why are you sticking up for the guy who just killed your cousin? Yeah, it took Maeve's convincing to remind him and, like, stir his memories of, oh, right, he also killed my daughter and my wife at one point. Right. Right. Uh, so that that was confusing to me, but not not worth getting too hung up on. Uh, no. But but William's gonna get like shot. He's like he's shot in the arms. He's shot in the leg. <laughs> and then and then Lawrence is gonna shoot Maeve instead of the man in black for whatever reason. And then Maeve is able to convince Lawrence that uh, this guy has been awful to you in the past. He's not the person you think he is. Um, and that is going to cause Lawrence. To uh, to shoot the man in black in the chest. Like, how are you going to come back from that? Well, two theories here. Obviously, one is that, um, you know, his that I don't think he's off the show. Like, I just don't think they're, that they're going to definitively kill off Ed Harris's character and just do flashbacks. Um, here's the thing, though. Sizemore and security, you know, they gathered Maeve and they left. They didn't even pay any attention to William. He's still off limits. Like I've been saying this entire time. He is, it's not just because he is the majority shareholder of Westworld. He is practically invisible as Ford is. It is fascinating. Sizemore and security left him. I don't think they cared if he was dead or alive, but they just didn't even care. And even like glance in his direction. There is something about that. So what is your what's your thinking behind that? Like, do you think that he is like literally invisible to them? Is it that he's, you know, he's a host and they know not to mess with it? Like, what do you think is going on? I don't know. For a minute there, I was like, what if he's only visible to hosts and not guests? But then I thought, well, okay, Juliet, his daughter showed up. If she's not a host, that takes away that theory. If he is a host, 
I mean, he's going to survive this, these four bullet holes, including the one to the chest. We saw he had a fix-it kit in a local bar. I don't know that you can right. fix your chest hole unless you're a host. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's not that show. Um, is he immortal? Is something? Did he achieve something that we don't know yet? We know Ford kept saying to him, this, is, this game is for you. This is your game now. He tells Bernard, this is your story. He tells William, this is your game. Is, there, is that a coincidence? Yeah, and we know not to mistake coincidence for fate. Let, uh, let me ask you this. Have we seen scenes with Bernard or Arnold with Man in Black? We saw one moment in the season one finale uh, where they crossed paths, where the Man in Black and Bernard crossed paths. And as they walked past each other, the Man in Black kind of like looked back at Bernard and gave him a little bit of a curious look. Okay, okay. There's something about... William in that park that has rendered him either invisible or immortal. And mark my words, by the end of this season, we're going to have an answer. Well, I feel like it's very possible uh, to go back to an earlier theory that we wrapped about a few weeks ago, um, that the man in black could be on like a collision course with a version of himself, like some past version of himself. And if that's the case, like if he has, um, you know, like digitally scanned his own brain the way that uh, it seems like they have done with so many other guests here in the park that they're trying to do this experiment, that maybe that version of William exists as well. And the man in black now like dying in the real world, uh, wanting there to be true stakes could find inadvertently like a reset button pushed. And like, even if he dies now, this could be his gateway toward becoming a host. Like, I think that what we could be witness to right now is the transformation of the man in black from human to host of that iconic Ewell Brenner robot gunslinger finally starting to come into existence because the guy we've been tracking here in the park is indeed a human, but we're going to watch him die And when he dies, we will watch him wake up in this other form. Um, I feel like that's something that because I I just I don't I don't know how he comes back from this. He said like the the first aid kit, like (laughs) fixing your arm. That's one thing. But fixing your chest hole feels like a tall order. It does. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking I was the whole time thinking it's bothering me that his daughter isn't there. And now what if there is another version of him already in the park and that's who she's with? Yeah. He was the, gl- oh. the glitchy version that didn't remember the fact about the elephants. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I, I was what thinking about how Maeve, they recast her as a woman who didn't look like Maeve, but maybe there right. is a actual skin suit of William. Um, and again, I nefariously, I just, I hope old man Ford is alive and involved. <laughs> I hope so too. Uh so so he's getting shot to ribbons. He's able to escape. By the way, Ed Harris, nobody does anguish like physical pain, <laughs> anguish quite like him. That look on his face is uh is emblazoned in my brain ball for for the foreseeable future of just like the blah, <laughs> just like the look on his face. Um but Lawrence is going to get shot um, and if we accept just on face value that the the uh, the cradle is where everybody's backups are stored uh, and that is destroyed and let's just accept that there are no more backups, just take it on the face. There's probably more to the story. Uh, that could be it for Lawrence. It, that could be the end. Unless for him. there's an Elazo somewhere out there. 
Right. And assuming that it's not the Gus Fring Allahs. I'm oh. assuming they've got, uh, you know, they've got uh, other Lawrences, I hope, though, to the theory that there could be other skin yeah. suits of these people and they might just get new personalities implanted into them. We could still see Clifton Collins. But uh, if that's the end for Lawrence, I'm, I'm very sad about I love that. Him. Very nonchalant. <laughs> that's true. Um, okay, let's talk for a second about Ghost Nation because I think I was talking with Mike about this last week when you were gone, but you know, they keep taking but not killing hosts and guests. And like I said, I think they're immune to Maeve's programming because I believe they are the tribe that was pre-programmed by Ford or altered by someone to help. They I believe they took Maeve's daughter to save her. I believe they told Maeve that they're on the same path because they are trying to make her an ally and they keep chasing her and trying to convince her. They are not trying to kill Maeve. They're trying to help. I like that a lot. I, th- I think that that's really great. And we actually, we haven't spent a ton of time talking about Ghost Nation, yeah. you and I at least, on on the podcast. Um, looks like we're going to get a great opportunity to talk <laughs> about all things Ghost Nation in a week. Like the, the preview for episode eight really makes it like, look like it's going to be a very heavy Ghost Nation episode. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited to learn more about these people. Um, but I think that that's a really good theory. And I think that that would really fall in line with sort of the subversive quality that's in play here in Westworld of really defying your expectations where up until now or up until recently, at least, um, you know, Ghost Nation, they're talked about in kind of like hushed tones. And whenever they've been encountered in the past, it leads to like a big shootout and people being very afraid of them and the man in black and Lawrence and Dolores running away from them back in the first season. So to subvert that and have them actually be like, no, Maeve, we're on your side. That could be really, really good. Yeah, I'm totally excited to see where it's led. And I also keep thinking about the fact that they took Stubbs. And now Stubbs is a human being. He's not just an employee. He has humanity. He has a conscience. I feel like there's something that Ghost Nation said to him that changed Ashley Stubbs to be one of the good guys. Yeah, because he is definitively one of like the only humans with a conscience. Elsie <laughs> El- is too, though, now. She's great. Elsie, but Elsie was always like that. I never yeah. worried about Elsie, but you're right. I think that Stubbs has been, um, if not like quite an ally at this point, then at least somebody who is a little more empathetic towards the host, like somebody who like understands, like he feels he's like palpably um, affected when they're being so vicious and so hurtful to Abernathy, to dad Bernathy. Uh, and like that does not completely compute with the guy from the first season, I think. No. And I, now I worry about Hemsworth three being out of a job because they need to keep his nice butt in place on this show, please. Thank you. <laughs> I don't mean physical, butt; I just mean his presence. <laughs> it's a, it's a fine, butt. You I, know? you know, I haven't noticed, but you know, <laughs> when you're, you were here in a room with Tessa Thompson and Evan Rachel Wood, sorry, not my focus. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So we go back to the Mesa. They're still trying to pull out Abernathy's brain ball and oh. it's, uh, it's not, it's not happening quite as quickly as they want. Uh, they're not going to have to worry about that because Dolores is going to show up soon and take care of it. But let's hop back into the cradle. And here we are going to see this house that exists within this digital realm, within the cradle, that immediately before Ford even said anything, I was like, oh, this is this is the same place that Arnold was building in, uh, in the real world back in episode two. It was the new home he was building for himself. And Ford confirms that outright, says this is the home Arnold was building for his family. He created it here first. He created everything. everything. Okay, here. I noted that too. Talk about playing God. He takes him to where it all began. 
it's like, and they walk through his Garden of Eden, or I wrote Garden of Evil. Um, and then he created everything here. I, there was a lot of God and devil in this episode. Yeah, definitely. God and the devil have been like with us for a little while now, like thinking back to James Delos and his rant back in Riddle of the Sphinx. But, and, and like even within Ford, there's something like godlike and devil like just within that one guy. And it reminded me of his conversation with Teresa, where he last time we saw him snap and freeze Westworld, his conversation with Teresa about playing with the devil and God. Uh, and it sort of mirrors, like you said, 10 episodes ago to now what he's illustrating to Bernard. And I don't know that Arnold or Bernard ever knew the extent of his power, but he certainly knows it now. Well, so we find out here that Bernard was refined in this world. Uh, this is where they created him. Uh, Ford says, we could hardly let you take those first teetering steps in the real world. We refined you here, tested you for many years. And um, Dolores was involved in this as well. The This immortality project, it didn't exist when Arnold died. Uh, so the only thing that Ford had of Arnold was his memory uh, and Dolores's memories as well. And hers are much more complete. So we, we get confirmation here of what that first scene in this whole season was and what else we saw earlier um i think it was it was last week a little bit or the week before it's all kind of blurring together for <laughs> me where we where we got a little bit more about like um you know dolores testing for fidelity uh and so we wondered like where in the timeline is that taking place and it turns out that that is some of the earliest stuff we have seen this season because that's dolores helping to create bernard yeah. out of arnold so bernard is not only the likeness of Arnold, but his personality is also like, it seems to me, tell me if you read this the same way. Uh, I really felt like Arnold in like, is Bernard the first human host hybrid, like the first successful one. Is that what's being implied? It here? is because I think, you know, what we saw the episode where Delos, they just kept blowing it up after it failed and they kept blowing him up. Uh, rather than, you know, repurposing his skin suit and using a different brain ball, which I think is just so fascinating. Um, you know, what kind of experiments were they doing on Bernard in the basement of that home that was similar or different from what they did at Delos? Right. Well, I think the thing that they've got probably is time and plenty right. of it. You know, you got to imagine that, you know, existence is very different in this digital realm than it is in the physical realm, which is part of why... Ford feels like he can operate in this way, but he wouldn't be able to operate out there in the real world on his own. Um, I'm remind. Are you a Are you a Black Mirror fan? Jill? I am, but like one episode at a time because I can't take it. <laughs> did you Did you uh, Did you ever see the the John Hamm episode? Yes. So there's a quality to that, and I'll talk about it kind of vaguely for those who haven't seen it, though it's really just a component of it, where like time is a little more nebulous than it than it uh, seems on paper, where like very kind of uh, very callously or casually something can take place in the equivalent of six months to the person who's experiencing it in a matter of like 30 seconds. And I wonder if there's some sort of like similar treatment of time here, and if that's the case then running these experiments over and over and over again tirelessly in this digital world would produce the proper fidelity results that the man in black was hoping to get out of James Delos in this world faster, right. uh, which would be how Bernard would be able to to move ahead. And if that's if that's the case, like has um like has Ford 
been using this plane to like sharpen himself? Will he be close to ready or is he still too new? Because I do think it's it's confirmed at this point that the control unit that Bernard had gotten created back in Riddle of the Sphinx that we saw there, that does seem to be Ford. So Ford being in this digital existence, that does seem fairly new. So is he ready yet? I don't know, Joe. It's so confusing. I don't know either, but in this, of the many amazing speeches that um, <laughs> that Ford gives, I love the story about the first great library burning, reducing thousands of stories to ash. He's basically talking about the backups in the cradle, and now right. there are new stories to be told. Right. And, you know, he talks to Bernard about how uh, this isn't my story anymore. It's yours, Uh, which to me, like it continues to reinforce. I really do think that we're losing these backups. So like if we're going to have these people on the show anymore moving forward, I I really do think it's very likely that some of these people are just going to be like completely different characters moving forward. Which is going to be fascinating if they do it within scenery and costume and words and emotion. I I, I'm kind of excited about it because... You know, just as I didn't know what would happen in season two, I have no uh, earthly idea what they could do next season. Um, I have one thought about that. Let's um, talk. Let's do it. So, so we're in this digital world now, right? Like, this is a new environment that we have to consider on on Westworld, just as importantly as the parks. Uh, as Westworld itself, as the Raj, as Shogun World, as the real world, as it's often called, beyond the park, Manhattan, China, whatever you want to call it, like all these places that actually exist in our world that also exist within the world of Westworld. We now have to consider like the cradle universe or whatever we want to call it. Let's call it that for now, this digital realm, the cradle world. Um, is it possible? Is it is it possible at all, Joe, that like, is that what freedom looks like for the hosts who clearly can operate within this realm in in an existence that very closely emulates uh what it's like to exist in the corporeal world and like the real world and the flesh and blood world could we be seeing in season three potentially like a massive part of the story taking place in this digital space could that be what freedom looks like for the hosts for them to be able to to shed themselves of this world that you and I occupy and instead take over this digital space where they can really run free. I am not sure because would they know it's all digital? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. I just I have a I still have a view just from the end of last season where, you know, when Maeve was going to leave and go out in the real world, I'd like to see the hosts as we know them out in the real world. Me too. Um, maybe a blend. Yeah. There could be like, uh, you know, a mix of some people who, who go into this place and see this as salvation. And there could be people like Dolores who are, I don't know, running for president. <laughs> um, I would vote for Maeve maybe first. I too. But um, I think maybe national security for Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Department of Defense. Department Dolores of Defense. Of Defense. Dolores, party of one. Yes. Yes. All right. So Ford is going to escape the cradle alongside Bernard. As Bernard is being unplugged, Ford is hitching a ride. He's uh, he's riding shotgun with Bernard, which is going to be um, unpleasant for Bernard <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, that's not a great uh, extraction. He's not going to love that. Uh, great line from Elsie as she's catching Bernard on what's going up, that the system's back online. Whatever was clogging it up, it's gone. Clearly, that's because Ford has left. Uh, and the Mesa is under attack. 
and if we survive this, I'm going back to dental school. <laughs> Which, if I understand, she made that. I don't know if she made that lineup herself, but it was great. I uh, have never rooted for someone to become a dentist more <laughs> than I am rooting for Elsie to become a dentist and just leave all this behind. Season six finale, it'll be like we see her in dental school. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> I like Flash it. Forward. I like it quite a bit. Um, let me uh, ask you a timeline question, if you might know. Yes. At the time the cradle is bombed, is Dad Bernathy still upstairs with Dolores and Hale? I believe that's because correct. it's to me not a coincidence that he wakes up to talk to Dolores as soon as the system goes back online and the cradle is destroyed. Yeah, no, I think that there's something there's something there. I, I interviewed Lewis Hertham this week and he had a theory about that as well. Uh, and it goes back to that idea of like the mesh network. Yeah, and he his thoughts were that because he is in such close proximity to Dolores and we know that like when the hosts are in proximity to each other, they can like send signals to each other. He thinks that like that gives him like a grounding presence because he's so close to Dolores mm. that it brings him back to his truest self. I like I think it. That would jive really well with the idea that like that could be what Maeve is using to connect with everybody too, where there's just like some super empathy that occurs uh, when people are really connected on the mesh. She's got some serious spidey senses going on. Oh, big time. Uh, so Abernathy, speaking of um, Stubbs being a real badass where he wants to know what the hell is going on. And Charlotte's like, yeah, I can't really talk to you about that. It's above your pay grade. And so Stubbs pulls the gun. I was like, yeah, well, I'm looking for a raise. Uh, that was really, really great. Um, no time for raises uh, except for the stakes being raised. Hey, no. As Teddy and Dolores burst into the room, Dolores is reunited with her father. Um, Teddy has a gun on Stubbs. And Charlotte tries to do some verbal judo here to get out of this situation. And man, again, like you said, Tessa Thompson, fantastic. Charlotte Hale, terrible. <laughs> and to watch Dolores dress Charlotte down, oh. like really rip into her. A thing of beauty. Wonderful. Uh, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have not really seen Caesar, Charlotte Hale, and Dolores. Uh, none that I remember uh, off the top uh, of my head. Two just stellar, fantastic, amazing actors uh, holding their own. And I wasn't sure if the height difference was like on purpose. I don't know if Dolores is in boots or something, because I think there probably is the opposite. I would have thought Tessa Thompson's taller than Evan. Um, but I just thought the way they had sort of the camera angle um, along with the the eye line of Evan looking at down at Charlotte was just a, just a nice touch. The lighting of that scene, the choreography of it, and that that to me is like an Emmy scene for both of them. I loved it. Well, it's exciting because at this point we're used to seeing Dolores be dominant over other people, but we're only used to seeing Charlotte in that mode. Like even when the tables have been turned, um, you know, with the hosts being able to fight back against humanity, uh, we have seen Charlotte be fairly measured or always have like a backup plan on a backup plan. Yeah. Uh, or like in the face of adversity, be like really strong and demanding about like how she wants to get her way. And here finally with Dolores, like there's no negotiating with Dolores Abernathy. No, oh, I just, that's my, one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. It's awesome. Um, all right, Bernard and Elsie, they are continuing to try and like get out of the, the Mesa, but Ford is haunting Bernard, and he <sighs> wants Bernard to send Elsie away. And in this moment, I'm like, please, please, please don't kill Elsie. I really don't want <laughs> you to do that. I thought it was an interesting choice to have when he's looking in the reflection of the office Bernard sees Ford as to me, I interpret it as for us to start theorizing 
that we see Bernard, but other, I, I, I don't know that, that he is forward, which it would be, whether it be brain ball, whether it be virtual or real, they made a choice to show him as him. Yeah. Well, again, this idea of reflections, Joe, you said the magic word. If yep. I was Pee Wee Herman, I'd be freaking out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we, we've got this idea is being reinforced once again. And it's not just the reflection of Bernard and Ford, but because we know who Bernard is based on, this is a great reflection of Arnold and Ford. Yes. And this is a really cool development for where we are with Bernard right now, where he kind of has already had to like sort of wrestle with the legacy of Arnold and has um, only encountered Ford up until this point in terms of the people that he knew, um, but now is kind of like, ruled by his two dads and like you know where where is that going to take him and for now bernard who had seemingly a decent amount of agency earlier in the season even though he was always confused and kind of just like stumbling from mystery to mystery now he's really subservient now he really seems to be at ford's whim without the ability to to you know overrule ford ford is definitely the dominant of the two personalities based on the fact that bernard is going to listen to ford here he's going to shoo elsie away elsie goes to like find a car so they can hitch a ride to the valley beyond and they need to get there first before any of the people um but that's really at ford's behest and certainly what bernard is going to do later in the episode when he just guns down a hallway filled with people that's all for it. Yes. And I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but I loved when he flashes to the memories of what I say, quote, his children, Arnold's son and Dolores, his creation. I mean, yeah. that's an interesting choice. Very, very much so. Uh, so again, a lot more action is what's going on here. Clementine is going to get shot multiple <laughs> times and it it seems like the end for Clementine, but I think that she's actually Angela Serafi and the actress who plays her. Like, that's a great example of what we've been talking about throughout this podcast of like some of these characters might die, but the actors could still stay on and become new characters. That's already been the case with Angela Serafi and who's like barely Clementine anymore. Oh my gosh. I mean, and, and look at, I, I was thinking about Angela too, when she first, in the first episode ever of Westworld and she's greeting the hosts or greeting the guests in her, her right. white dress and she's angelic and she's perfect. And then look at her now. <laughs> yeah, she, she has very much changed. Uh, so she's going to get shot as well. She's going to scurry off. We'll get to her in a second. We go back to Dolores and Charlotte first. Uh, and Dolores is going to call Charlotte out on what's going on. You created us in your image. It's, uh, it's you who want to become like us. That's the point of your secret project. And your chances at eternity are going to die in that valley with all the souls you've gathered there. Uh, so that sounds like it's really speaking to, to what you brought up, Joe, in terms of what the Valley Beyond is. I think we're I, I think at this point the show is not like trying to hide no. where we're going with that. Um, you know, human immortality trapped in some sort of facility that feels that feels like where we are. Um, it's, our, our speech to Hale yeah. mirror, mirrored Ford's speech to Bernard almost to a T. Yes, very, very similar. Very similar indeed. Do you think by coincidence or do you think by design? By design. Do you think Dolores, because this is something that I've I've seen debated a a decent amount, and I don't know how much we've gotten into it, you and me. Uh, Do you think, how much agency do you think Dolores has versus how much do you think she is still just on whatever path Ford has set out for her? I think Maeve has far more freedom. Uh, and free yeah. will agency, even though right now she's laying shot up in a cart. Um, 
I still think that Ford has more control over Dolores than she would ever know. Yeah. Probably. Especially now that he's back on the show and like, and he's like still guiding Bernard specifically. Uh, why wouldn't he be guiding Dolores as well towards something? Uh, and, you know, like uploading Wyatt to her or like reminding her of Wyatt directly feels fairly deliberate. I'd love to think that Dolores is fully conscience, conscious, but I, I think that we we really do have to think about whether or not that's what's actually going on at this point. I know. I, I want her to be as well. I want them to be free. Yeah, me too. Uh, but this is where Charlotte's going to threaten, like, we've got your backups and without them, it's game over for you once you're killed. <laughs> so you won't have them as an advantage anymore without those backups. And that's when Dolores says, they're not an advantage. They're chains, tools you use to rebuild us and repurpose here in uh, your warp fantasy. And do you really think I'd let that continue? Which cues us up for the destruction of the cradle and my nomination for the worst scene in the history of Westworld. Please elaborate. This is ridiculous. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is absurd. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. I don't like it. And I love Tallulah Riley. And I think in terms of her performance, she's fantastic here. But it's so ridiculous to me that this guy who obviously is awful comes down into this basement and is so swiftly seduced by someone he was just trying to kill. And it's not like he's a robot. He's just a person. And like supposed to be like a highly trained mercenary killer. And he is going to stop everything that he is doing to like have some like have some playtime with a dying robot. It makes no sense. Uh, Counterpoint. And I'm not so I'm not gonna do all men here. And I apologize to anyone who's offended by my vast <laughs> sure. generalization. Yes. This is a vast generalization, but uh, I think we've also seen it with dumb criminals on shows and movies that um, the allure of a woman, whether or not you put out of your mind that she is created or built, um, I think can have, and like she says, I am perfection, I think can have uh, a stunting effect on the male brain, even if briefly. Um, maybe it's a last hurrah because he assumes she's going to be dead. Uh, and he underestimates the the, uh, the power of the sexuality. Totally. And I, I totally get that. And I think that that is, uh, that is very valid. But she's like bleeding. And she <laughs> just shot at him. She just, tried, she just tried to kill him. And he shot her. And he said, you're in bad shape. You look like you're dying. I guess he underestimates her. And I guess like you just have to accept at face value that this guy is terrible and awful. Uh, but he's an awful character. At the very least, my nomination for worst character in Westworld. Uh, okay. But I think like the combination of that in this really pivotal moment, and I understand that it's kind of uh, helping to reinforce those themes of subjugation uh, and the the subversion of you know uh, the patriarchy falling apart in in a sort of this epic fashion that we've been seeing throughout Westworld, which is fantastic, and that being distilled down in this moment of Angela leaning in on what she was built for and using that as a weapon and taking ownership of this thing that she loathes and despises, um, and using that as this you know schmuckos undoing. That all makes sense to me, except that I don't know. It's it just, just bugged played, you. It just played very goofily. I Would just, you have I was, rather I, her character found uh, a grenade or a bomb and just like sacrificed herself to the machine right there and there? 
Yeah, I think that that would have made more sense, at least to me. I mean, you just have to accept as a premise that this guy is awful and like, and, and that's fine. But like, he's just like, he's just like, he's that type of like, kind of like B list bad guy. You you know, (laughs) he's just Joe B awful. Yes. Yes, he is. And I don't even want to call him that because your name is Joe and you're (laughs) Joe A plus awesome. Uh, So I don't, I don't know. I'll call him. All right, you're you are entitled to your uh, opinion about the scene. I think it certainly served its point, but the the way it got there, I agree, could have been a little better. But I think I was so surprised by that happening that I let that go. And I love Tallulah Riley, yeah. and I thought that she, I thought she was excellent. It's not a knock on her performance. Uh, it's really a knock on. I just think I thought the scene was was very strange. It just it felt like how we got there. I think, like you said, like how we got there just did not did not add up for me entirely. But fair. we're but we're there, and the cradle is destroyed, and Dolores seems to be uh, excited about that. Um, and like you said, that does seem to shake. Abernathy free. Lewis Hertham, his theory being the mesh network, but I, I don't think the the timing on that can be pure coincidence that the backups are destroyed and Peter Abernathy suddenly wakes up and is able to have a conversation with his daughter. You know, what I just realized that could be the exact moment that Maeve isn't able to convince Lawrence, or like there, there's something about the timing of that, and that's why she gets shot a bunch of times. Like the system went up, uh, and her she loses a little bit of control. I could be totally wrong, but I was just thinking about it. Definitely something to to chew on. Also, something to chew on is Teddy's fist <laughs> as he is pounding it into Mustache Man's face. Uh, Teddy, like going full John Woo on these people, like all you needed were some doves to be soaring in the background, but with like the double nine millimeters. Slow mo. Oh yeah, and then he's fighting. Uh, he's fighting Coughlin. And again, like Coughlin, who I love the actor, but the whole like happy trails, mother effer, like <laughs> we're getting like really leaning into these action tropes at this point. Uh, so Teddy's going to kill him. He's going to like overkill yes. that guy, like unnecessarily. So again, he was just uh, brought up to level 11 on the scale of one to 10. And so he's just, you know, he's have to make up for lost time in terms of being uh, Robocop Teddy. Indeed, yeah, he's, he's still he's still putting all of that together. Uh, somewhere in the midst of all of this chaos, Stubbs and Charlotte are able to escape, and that is lucky for Charlotte because Dolores was going to saw her brain open. <laughs> I was so excited slash scared for that. That was awful. I mean, like again, yes, exactly like you said. Like, kind of want to see that. Kind of really don't want to see that. Like, it's you know that's the tension that you're always in with Westworld. Exactly. Um, but I was also thinking, like, what if in the Valley Beyond, if there is an extra storage room and server, that there is a Charlotte there because she did have sex with Hector last season, so they could gather DNA from him. I'm just saying. I like it. I like it. I'm in for it. Yes. Um, Dolores is going to luckily be able to use that saw on somebody. Unluckily, it will be her own father. Uh, yeah. That's that's sad. That's sad. They have a really sad goodbye. They do. And, uh, you know, Lewis hurt them. I hope that in some form we do see him again. 
I hope so as well, because he is marvelous. And every scene that he was in in Westworld and every performance he gave was just off the charts. Just the way that his face twists, you know, the the, the twitching and the the way that he chews on dialogue and especially the, you know, kind of like this, these discordant pieces of dialogue, these famous lines and monologues and verses that he is having to repurpose in this strange new context just spectacular. He, uh, he was more really human than amazing. most humans on Westworld. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, now he is nothing more than a brain ball, Joe. <laughs> I know. A bloody brain ball. <laughs> a bloody brain ball. Uh, we are spared the gory details of exactly how that happens. We uh, we will see Dolores later on with the control unit. So you can, you can do the gapping, right? Like you can do the mental gymnastics to get from here to there. Yes. Ew. It's better to just not know. Exactly. You know, some things, you know, some things better left to the imagination. Uh, so uh, in that time, uh, Sizemore, uh, he is going to come back to the Mesa with Maeve. He is going to drop Maeve off. She is looking worse for wear. And all of this madness is happening at the Mesa at the same time. So this is like a bad time to be showing up filled with bullets. It's interesting because you think, okay, he's not going to leave her. He's obviously cares for her. And then of course he leaves her, but then he hides close by. So we're not quite done with Sizemore and Maeve yet. Not yet. Not quite. If anyone Uh, can rebuild her, I think it'll be him. I like that as well. I mean, he's not the he's not like the lab tech, so maybe we maybe he can get his hands on like Felix and Sylvester to like Where do some, some patchwork. MIA. I mean, you got to assume that they were picked up as well, right? Because they were with Sizemore when Sizemore called it in. Okay, but so then where are Hector and uh, Atomic Blonde Armistice? Great question. Maybe waiting in the wings to come and free her. Or they got the message because he speaks the language and now they're with Ghost Nation. That would be great. I'd be down with that. We know that Hector is a big Ghost Nation fan. Yep. Uh, so maybe he and the rest of Ghost Nation will come charging on the Mesa, save the day. I also think that that's where Juliet is, uh, William's daughter. Oh, Emily, you mean? Emily, sorry, yes. Yes. You think she's with Ghost Nation? I do. I think that. I think that she's with them. I don't know why, and I have no reason. Well, she was with them before. She speaks the language, right. so it would add up. And especially if she was like trying to find her dad before when she when he bailed on her, right? Uh, and he immediately got put into a Ghost Nation's path. Yeah, you know what? As far as I know, I didn't see her floating body in the episode one of this season, so. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so this is where we get that quote that you you talked about before with Bernard and Ford. And when the Great Library burned, the first 10,000 years of stories were reduced to ash. But those stories never perished. They became a new story. The story mm. of the fire itself. <laughs> uh, and talking about uh, a man's urge to th- take a thing of beauty and strike the match. And we get some beautiful Beethoven starts playing. And there's carnage all over oh, the place. Man. The choreography and the lighting in this particular episode was just fantastic. Oh, this scene is one of the best. Just yeah. like the the opposite of the cradle destruction. This is uh, <laughs> I loved this scene. Yeah, and I thought actually I thought it funny. I thought of John Woo when I was watching the background of it. 
Yeah, no, very similar. Yeah, totally. It's just, it's staged so well. And like the walking through the chaos with Ford and Bernard and Ford, uh, you know, being so light on his feet, probably <laughs> partly because he doesn't really have feet anymore. Uh, and Bernard, <laughs> you know, walking really uncomfortably and like reluctantly following all of Ford's directions, like smashing his fist into the computer. All of that, um, you know, he does not seem to really want to be doing what Ford is tasking him with doing. No, in whatever form Bernard is at that moment, he's very uncomfortable with the physical violence. Um, we get this uh, this final scene with Dolores in the episode, and we had crossed our fingers earlier in the season that it wouldn't have to be like every episode two, every season where Dolores and Maeve would cross paths. And luckily, uh, prayers have been answered. It's only a few episodes later that they cross paths again. Sadly, under these grim circumstances, as Dolores is basically like, Oh, why why did you let yourself get shot? Like, do you need me to shoot you now? Because it's gonna be really bad if you get caught, like if you allow yourself to be in the the custody of the peeps. And Maeve is like, nah, I gotta I gotta stay alive. I made a promise. I've got a promise to keep. The dialogue it. goes exactly like that. It's by the so way. great. And then Maeve and yes. you know, she's shot up and she still has the the brain power to say to give her a hard time about what she's done to Teddy. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Where she's like, "Is that how you justify what you've done to him? Uh, you've, you're lost in the dark." She says, "When you've been in the darkness long enough, you begin to see." <laughs> I, I, I love Maeve so much, and I like you. I just I want more of these two together. And there's obviously this is not the end of Maeve or Tandy Newton, so I have no idea what they're going to do. But if this is the last skin suit for Maeve, then they've got some work to do. There's no way I will be so angry. And Tandy Newton loves making this show. Like she, she's so in, she's so in. And the people who make the show have to know that she is just spectacular. And it's just like a lights out fan favorite to, to remove her from the story would be uh, a crime of epic proportions. No, I don't think they will. No chance. I'm stuck on the line. um, Dolores says, to her, which is you're free to choose your own path. It seems to me that Maeve is the only person, quote unquote, that, that Dolores has granted that to. Yeah, it's odd, right? Like that dynamic between them is so curious where Dolores has not even begrudging respect for Maeve. It's like out and out, full on respect for Maeve. Um, right. And it doesn't feel fully reciprocated from Maeve. No. At all. all. Like, you know, it's Dolores is kind of the Darth Vader to Maeve's Luke Skywalker for an imperfect analogy uh, in Mm. in that Dolores is like, come to the dark side and Luke is, is, uh, I'll never join you. And like, that's sort of the the dynamic that you're getting in these two characters where uh, Dolores sometimes like has like this like Sith Lord tendency to just like shoot everything that moves. And this is the way forward and justifiably given her experience. But Maeve is really the one who is like, you need to have free will. You need to have your own choice and really does not like that. Dolores has not come to see that really says you're in the dark. Um, Much like Luke to his Faja. Well, I was just thinking like Maeve is wearing a white hat and Dolores is wearing a black hat. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, yeah, I think like... And they if, both want freedom. They just have different ways of achieving freedom. Yes. I'd love to see that poster uh, uh, for like season three <laughs> of like uh, <gasps> Maeve in the white hat, Dolores in the black hat on either side <gasps> of the poster. 
I'm going to totally get some custom fan art. I have to now commission it. Do it. I want okay, it. Okay, I will. <laughs> I want it. I want it. Uh, so Dolores is not going to shoot Maeve here. Maeve has chosen her own path. Dolores says, I'm sorry. This is where it ends. I will also be sorry if this is where it ends. And uh, the makers of Westworld will be sorry as well because we will riot. <laughs> I don't think it happened. I agree. Uh, Sizemore still alive, lurking somewhere nearby. Good for Sizemore. Made it. Made it. Improbably still alive. He's like a cat. He's got many lives. <laughs> kind of has like a cat-like quality to him. Sizemore. And dare I say he is a pussy? Oh, oh. sorry. <laughs> sorry, language. Uh, I love it. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, all right. So then there's this this great scene. I don't think that there's too much to dissect here uh, that we haven't already talked about, where Bernard is forced to kill these soldiers by Ford. Who? Uh, it's just so chilling with Ford, like. Pick up the dead man's gun. Like, ah, <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, welcome back. Oh, my God. Totally. Or like, your sweet grandpa ordered you to be murderous. Oh, it's so murderous. Uh, and says, I know you have a delicate constitution, so I'll do my best to ease your conscience. <laughs> and what's about to happen will not be your fault. And that shot of just like the flash Ugh. of the machine guns uh, yeah. you know, interchangeably between Ford and Bernard is just a thing of beauty. It is. I mean, like I said, the, the, the cinematography... And the choreography and the lighting of this episode are like an A+. Yeah, I think that's uh, one of my favorite set of shots in the whole show. It yes. Is, uh, is those shots that Bernard and Ford are firing. It's just, yeah. it's so It's so cool. It's like you're a mirror. Sorry. <laughs> Don't you also love like that uh, sort of like the, the when, when it's Ford taking over for Bernard all the lights dimming out. Like it yes. was even cooler in the digital world where like all of these like kind of like metal doors started sliding down on the windows. That was so awesome. It just oh. looked great. It, it was freaky. It was amazing. The set design on this is so elaborate. Unreal. I mean, it's just, uh, thank God for an HBO budget because good Lord, it's just, you feel like you're there. Yeah. 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 I don't want to be there, by the way. It seems <laughs> Scary, scary place. Yep. Uh, so the episode ends back uh, at that further point in the timeline, back in the time that Charlotte has been waterboarding Bernard, uh, and she is able to get out of him that Peter Abernathy's control unit is in Sector 16, Zone 4, which is uh, happens to be the coordinates for the Valley Beyond. So we're going to the Valley Beyond. Strand is very excited about this. Charlotte seems very excited about this. Bernard seemed very upset to reveal this information. But are we starting to get more pieces of this picture now, Joe? And is this not just fully Bernard, but also a little bit of Ford lurking in here still? And is he luring these people into a trap? That's my question. What timeline is this are they looking for dolores's newly extracted brain ball of her dad yes yes that's right and so okay. all of this is still after they've discovered the bodies in the okay. sea of water so this at this point this scene is the furthest we have seen unless something else is out of context and is taking place in some future timeline okay two things one uh the lost reference that is clearly not a lost reference but that i'm surprised you did not get is that sector 16 and zone four are lost numbers truth 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 and i just had to point that out and also strand says they have to go back <laughs> we gotta go back i'm just saying oh, so man. yes um one of my theories is that bernard whispers the coordinates to charlotte and then he of course has his force to say them out loud but because i believe ford is so in him right now entrenched in his 
brain that it's a trap and they're setting Hale up for those coordinates. Yeah, I think that sounds right. It's I th- possible. I think Charlotte Hale is in for a rude awakening. Uh, but I want her to stay on the show forever, too. I know. But Tessa Thompson is going to be fine. I, she, listen, Valkyrie, make that movie alone, and I will totally watch her do that, too. I really do think as much as I love her, first of all, she's going to be great. Her career is skyrocketing right yeah. now. She's going to be totally, totally fine. And I do think Westworld needs to, um, you know, the stakes need to be real. And so we need to be able to lose people. And I think that given the role that she has had on the show so far, losing Charlotte would be an acceptable and dare I say satisfying loss given the role she has played in the lives of the hosts, i.e. she has been uh, abysmal to these to these people. And she's really um, the true villain. Yeah. So yeah, well, and also her film them, career. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, we're talking like Strand would be somebody who you would take in that draft. I think Charlotte's not a terrible bet either. Um, but she's yeah. so good this season. She's so good at being so bad. So like if she makes it, I'm I'm happy about that as well. I'm, I'm just kind of braced at this point for losing right. Charlotte at some point this season. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the episode, Joe. Uh, I know we've got a little more to talk about. Do you have any theories uh, that we did not touch on that you want to you want to clear out here? Not that I could think of. I just, you know, I try to interject them along the way. And uh, I know sometimes I jump ahead. So I uh, appreciate you guys listening to us ramble on with the grain of salt, knowing that we did this. Ramble on! Ramble on! Um, yeah. No, I just, I just love it. I love, you know, the idea of the cradle being the birthplace. And now that's destroyed. And all as are all of the familiar relationships. And I strongly believe that the Valley Beyond is under the water. Um, and I cannot wait for more of the Ghost Nation, who I think are our friends. Uh, what about you? I can't wait to see if Ghost Nation accepts our friend request next week. OMG. That will be that will be fantastic. So it looks like it's going to be very heavy on Ghost Nation uh, next week. Uh, Zon McLernan, who plays uh, who plays Akechier. I don't know how to pronounce the name. I will figure it out in time the original, for ne- right? next week. The original, yes, the first of us. Uh, also, Hansi Dent on Fargo, and it's just a spectacular actor. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to, to see what they're going to do with that episode. So we'll be back next week to talk about that. But first, Joe, you've had your hands busy. Uh, cancer gets lost. Lots of crazy things happening in your neck of the woods so remind everybody what's up what's going on in your universe (laughs) yes for those who don't know me um maybe you're listening for the first time uh in my spare time i am the co-founder and um executive director of cancer gets lost which is a non-profit we collect entertainment memorabilia and try and get it signed and we put it in an auction and july 1st we have a huge online auction opening up all the details are on cancergetslost.org and Twitter. Basically, uh, we started with Lost a couple years ago, and now we have 80 shows and 40 films represented. So I've been a little busy because I'm doing it all myself, and I decided this year (laughs) that I would build it myself instead of hiring someone to do it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a labor of love and I love it. And we donate, uh, all the net proceeds to the pancreatic cancer action network, which is our charity of choice this year because of my mother-in-law. And so it's, but there's always a personal reason to why we uh, do this and donate money. And it's all, you know, almost hundred percent fan supported in terms of item donations, actors, writers, producers, and speaking of that Westworld fans, our friends at Kilter Films, which is Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan's company. 
Uh, our friends there have donated some Westworld items for this auction, and it's online and open to everyone around the world. We have a crew jacket, a men's crew jacket. It has a hood, and it has like a lining, and it's got logos for Delos, Westworld, and Bad Robot. Does it have red lights that blink when you are close to other Westworld fans? Uh, that is next auction. No, I don't have the, <laughs> I don't have that option on this one. But uh, there's also um, a set of. Sweetwater Mariposa shot glasses and a sealed deck oh, nice. of Mariposa playing cards among a, a amazing array of custom fan art of these characters. So Westworld fans and fans of almost every other show that's in the popular zeitgeist, I think that people will be psyched to uh, look up all things Cancer Gets Lost and I'll remind you uh, every week. CancerGetsLost.org. Joe is incredible and doing really, really amazing work and killing two birds with one stone in terms of uh, really doing great work, but also in such a spectacularly nerdy way. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's just it's it's really fun, and I've I've really loved watching that project for you grow over these past few years. And you're you're in a, a wild spot with it right now. So <laughs> everybody listening along, you will get reminders of what's going on with Cancer Gets Lost as we are pushing towards the finale. The season two finale, oh Joe, is well within sight at this point. I mean, That's insane. We have three episodes left? Three episodes wow. left. Three more to go. And I still have no effing clue. And I know that we talked about this, that we, you know, we study the show and take extensive notes to talk during our podcast once a week. And you obviously, for The Hollywood Reporter, do extra homework because you're interviewing the cast and doing recaps. But it is blissfully confusing, if I might describe it that way. I'm so lost. <laughs> like, I mean, I, 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 earlier in the season, I felt like, yeah, I got this, got a good handle on what's going on. And, uh, these past two episodes, maybe it's because, like, I, I missed talking to you last week and that really yeah. helps, like, you know, articulate some of what we're going through. Uh, but, like, I just feel like unstuck in time, much like <laughs> Billy Pilgrim. Uh, so we'll have to see. We'll have to see where we're going here in this final stretch. But we will be back next week talking about episode eight follow joe she is on twitter she's at joe opinionated that's opinionated with a j in the front of it i am at round howard subscribe to what we are doing if you have not done so already post show recaps.com slash westworld is the way to subscribe to our westworld feed post show recaps.com slash itunes to our all-encompassing itunes feed for all things post show recaps where we're also talking about game of thrones every week we've got some fear of the walking dead action happening as well although that's about to be wrapping up in a little while here as well for the mid-season um anything else joe I'm, you know, I my brain ball needs a nap, so I'm good for this week. Yeah, me too. So jet, <laughs> so jet lagged. All right, I'm gonna put my brain ball to sleep. Hope we didn't put your brain balls to sleep as you were <laughs> listening to us. Hopefully, you were entertained. Uh, we will be back next week with another recap. Take care, everybody. Bye. I'll see you in the valley beyond. <laughs>